Well, good morning and welcome now also to those of you who are joining us in our contemporary service and online and on TV. We're really glad you guys are here. Welcome back to everyone. Welcome back to our vision2020.net message series that we've been sharing for these last four weeks. It's been an opportunity for us to talk together about the things that God is doing in this church family and about the kind of future that we believe together that God is calling us toward, the, the vision that God is calling us forward to. We've been talking, especially in these last few weeks, about the areas in particular we believe that God is calling us to grow in order to be the people that God wants us to be. We've talked about expanding our invitation to Christ and investing in the relationships that make this church family strong. And today I want to talk to you about the third and final of these three growth emphases that we want to grow toward. This third one is to empower the people of Jesus, to empower the people of Jesus for life and service in the kingdom of God. To set the context for how important this is and where it is I think we can get off track with this, I want to just tell you a story. It's an experience that I had about five years ago or so. I was sitting in my office with two other staff members from First Lutheran, and we were listening to a webinar, like like an online seminar. We were listening to a webinar, and it had to do with a survey. It was a, a survey that churches nationwide had taken. Some of you might remember, we participated in this also. It was called Reveal. Reveal, And it was meant to help churches kind of understand where they are and what their growth areas might be and how the people of the church, what their beliefs are and spiritual maturity, all that kind of stuff. So we're listening to this webinar, and one of the women who was putting this on was one of the key designers, one of the key leaders in putting this survey together. And she was talking to another church and helping them kind of analyze and process their results and what they should do with them. And some of the results from a survey like that can be a little threatening sometimes. If you, if you find out you're maybe not as far along as a church as maybe you hoped you were or something. So she was talking to these church leaders for this other church, and she said, now when you see these results, I want everyone to remember that this doesn't reflect like, the beliefs of the church itself. It doesn't reflect the beliefs of the church itself. It reflects the beliefs of the people who attend your church. And we were like, wait, what did you say? It doesn't reflect the beliefs of the church itself. It reflects the beliefs of the people who attend your church. And the the three of us who were listening to this together in my office looked at each other and we were like, and I think they were thinking the same thing I was, which was, dear Lord, what have we done? How have we gotten here? I'm not being profane. That's a prayer. God, seriously, how did we get here? How did we get to the place where church is imagined to be a thing or a place or a time that is done by professionals that other people merely attend as if it were like an inspiring musical or something. How did we get here? And some of you, I see, you're you're nodding your heads at me right now. You, You get what I'm saying here. Other people, but somewhere inside you might be thinking, well, what exactly is wrong with that? Maybe, or maybe you're thinking that actually is kind of how I see church. Let me share with you for a second some of the things that I think are at stake in this. If we get off track, if we start to think of church in this way as a a thing that professional people do that other people can attend if they wish. Probably the first problem, and it might even be the smallest problem, is that an uncountable number of people with an incalculable amount of gifts and passion and energy for changing the world will be disempowered, discouraged, and basically bored to tears. There are hundreds of people who are gathered here right now in this hour alone, in this church family alone, that have been given gifts by God that he wants you to use to strengthen his church and impact his world. And honestly, you come alive when you get to do those things that God has wired you up for. 
Unfortunately, when we think about church the way that many people think about church, the way that I know many church leaders think about church, it practically ensures that you will never get to do any of those things. And when that happens, everybody loses. Everybody loses. There's a lot at stake in this. Another thing that could happen when we start to think about church like this is that we introduce a deep, almost uncrossable chasm into all of our lives, especially all of yours, but also into mine. We introduce this deep chasm between two parts of our lives. And do you know what the technical names for these parts of our lives are? I'm going to put it right here on this easel. They have very fancy names. One side of your life is, it's over here. It's a little circle like this, and it's called Sunday. That's a very complicated word, right? Sunday. And then there's this other part of our lives, and it's a much bigger part of our lives. And I'm not going to write all those words because it's every other day of the week, right? And we introduce this deep chasm, a big line that divides those things one from another. Now, you all do these deeply important things all week long when you're not here. Right? And it could be anything that you do, and maybe you don't even all believe how deeply important it is. That's kind of part of the problem that we face. But whether you're in an office or workplace somewhere, in a family, in a home, in your neighborhood, in some nonprofit you volunteer for, I don't know, whatever you do, these things matter deeply to God. But unfortunately, we live in this situation as the way that we think about church makes it hard for us to connect what we experience from Jesus here in Sunday and what we experience the rest of the week. Do you remember our fifth core value as a family? It's this cryptic, mysterious one, 3165. We sort of picked a number. We said, on average, maybe the average churchgoer spends about three hours a week at church. I hate that phrase, by the way, at church, but I still say it because you kind of know what it means. And that means we have 165 other hours of the week, 98.2% of your life when you are not at church, right? Now, if I were Satan... You don't ever want to hear a pastor say that, right? Don't want to say that. If I were Satan, I'd be thrilled about this. I would think, man, you know what? Jesus can have 1%. That's fine. If I get the other 99 and no one knows what to do with that, chalk that up as a win. I think when we think about church that way, we introduce this chasm between parts of our lives, and none of us want to live that way, but we get this misunderstanding that kind of traps us into it. That's at stake here. I think maybe the third problem, I won't say any more than this, I think the third problem is that when we think about church this way, we, we run the risk, we create the situation where most of the world can remain unaffected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, if we disempower the powerful people of Jesus and we limit what it means to be church to barely 1% of our lives, then we've ensured that most people in the world can live and die without ever having to see or hear the hope of God in Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a problem, right? This is a problem. And I don't think that we could be further away, or I would not like to imagine what it looks like to get even further away from what Jesus said when he started this whole thing. When Jesus ran into those fishermen on the north end of Lake Galilee, in the story with which we started this whole series, and he called Simon and Andrew, and he said, come, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. I think if the average experience of church in America is what Jesus had in mind, he might have said, come, sometimes, believe stuff about me, and I will make you sit in rows. We've gotten off track somewhere. And I think I have an idea where. I think I have an idea of at least one of the places where we jump the tracks here. I think we're using the word church wrong. 
And because we use the word church incorrectly, it's giving us the wrong imagination of what church is and can be. And to get our heads screwed on straight about this, I want to take you back to one scene in Jesus' life, to one of the very, very few places in Jesus' life where he actually uses the word church. Or more to the point that I'm trying to make today, where Jesus uses the word that we have since translated as church and maybe not correctly. But let me explain what I mean. Jesus is together with his followers, with the people who are learning to know God from him and learning to live life in his way. They're his disciples, his apprentices. And they're in this place called Caesarea Philippi, a town kind of north of where they spent most of their time. Caesarea Philippi was a pagan place. And there in Caesarea Philippi, there was this famous large rock face. And on the, at this rock, there were some caves. And people regarded these caves to be the gates to the underworld. They were literally the gates of Hades. And on this rock, there were like some rock ledges and some carvings. And people would put pagan idols on those ledges. And they would carve pagan images on this rock face. And Jesus is standing with his disciples in front of this place there in Caesarea Philippi. That tells you a lot about Jesus already. But he decides to ask his disciples, he seizes, a, seizes this teachable moment and he warms them up. He says, who do people say I am? Who do they say the son of man is? That's a name for himself. And so they say, well, Jesus, different people say different things, but most people think you're a pretty big deal. And now Jesus has him warmed up. And he asks the question he really wants to ask, who do you say I am? And Peter raises his hand. No, he didn't. He just blurted it out. Because I don't think Peter was ever anything but the first person to answer a question that was asked of him. And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And man, that was the right answer. It was the right answer. It was powerfully right. In fact, it's so right that when I meet Jesus someday and he asks me, who do you say I am? I will probably just repeat what Peter said. I don't think I could improve on that. But it's not even what Peter said that I want to focus on. It's what Jesus said a couple lines later. After he tells Peter that he's right, he says, you are Peter. And by the way, that's a nickname for Peter. His real name is Simon. Jesus called him Petros. That means rock. He called him a rock. That could mean a lot of things. But he calls Peter rock. You are Petros. And then Jesus gets punny. Did you know Jesus made puns? Jesus made puns. You are Petros, and on this rock, but he uses a different word for rock. It sounds like Petros, but it's not. It's Petra. You are Petros, and on this Petra, now, by the way, did I mention that Jesus is standing in front of a really big rock at this point? You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my, and everybody thinks that Jesus said church, right? Except there's only one reason I'm really sure he didn't. Jesus didn't speak English, huh? So he didn't say church. Jesus, according to the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus used the word ekklesia. There will not be a quiz on this later. You don't have to remember the Greek word ekklesia, but I want to tell you something about that word. Unlike the word church, it was not a Christian word. It was not a, it was not a religious word. It was a word that everybody already knew. There were lots of ekklesias already around Jesus' world. Also, unlike the word church, it never referred to a place or a building or a time. It referred to people. An ecclesia was a group of people, a smaller group of people, called out from a larger group of people, gathered around a common purpose and pursuing a common goal, usually for the good of the larger people. What would you call that? What English word would you use to describe a smaller group of people called out from a larger group of people, gathered around a common purpose, pursuing a, com a common goal, probably for the benefit of the whole larger group of people? 
I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my team, movement, family, people, maybe? How about assault force? No, that's going too far. Okay. But I said it because I wanted to make this point. Jesus put his people on offense, not on defense. He's the, he empowered them. He said, I will build you right here on this rock, which seems to be enemy territory, and the very gates of Hades themselves will not be able to stand against you. Jesus empowered the people of Jesus, whatever you want to call them. And I humbly submit to you that we should never have given up on that idea in the first place. So if we want to be the people that God has called us to be, that's what we've been saying in our whole Vision 2020 process. We want to be the people God has made us to be, and we want to be more and more the family, the community, the people Jesus made us to be. We know we need to do at least three things to grow that way. We need to expand our invitation to Christ, invest in the relationships that make this church family strong, and we need to empower the people of Jesus for life and service in the kingdom of God. Now, I think that'll mean at least three specific kind of areas of growth around here at First Lutheran. The first one is this. I think it's the most obvious one. We need to empower more people. We want to develop communities of leaders to participate in the ministry of First Lutheran. Somewhere along the way, and we could probably argue about where it happened historically, but somewhere along the way, churches and church leaders conspired together to see to it that most of the ministry in churches is done by church professionals. This is a terrible idea, and we should stop doing it. Let me give you an example. Let me paint you a picture of one of the many ways we're already doing this right around here. Opening night, opening Wednesday night for our fall season was a couple of weeks ago on September 10th. We opened up a new season of children and student ministry, adult community groups, some musical groups for the fall season, kicked off again. And one of the things, because it's opening night, that meant that our staff leaders, our church professionals for student ministry, Corey and Melinda, they needed to be in the fellowship hall talking to the parents of confirmation age students getting ready for the fall. That also meant that all the students, all the teenagers, had to go somewhere else for a little while. So they went out into the back 40 back there, into our backyard, and they played some games and reconnected and had a good time starting off the year together again. The only problem is we live in Minnesota and it's getting dark earlier and earlier and earlier, right? So it got dark and they had to come back inside. And so now we have 100 plus teenagers standing around in the church lobby right out there by those four pillars. Anybody else's anxiety level just go up right there? <laughs> we had 100 plus teenagers standing around with nothing to do, okay? And our staff people were in the fellowship hall and didn't even know they were there. And then I happened to be seeing this. One of our gifted and equipped and empowered and trained volunteer leaders for student ministry stood up in the middle of the group and got all their attention, kind of corralled them together and began to share some things with them that they needed to know at that moment. And as soon as he was done talking, another one of the leaders off to his left stood up and said something else that needed to be communicated. And then just down to that guy's right was one of our high school seniors who was actually sitting with some of her friends on the floor. And she stood up and shared an announcement about something that was happening important in the life of student ministries on the upcoming Sunday. And this whole group of teenagers was well-led and ready to take their next step. And I was standing about 20 feet away, completely unnoticed, unnoticed because I was completely unneeded. <laughs> I was completely unnoticed, completely unneeded, and completely thrilled at what I was seeing. It was beautiful. 
We had our church staff leaders who were in the fellowship hall doing ministry they're gifted and called to do. We had other ministry leaders who were gifted and trained for what they were doing, who were yeah, doing what they were called and gifted to do, and it was beautiful. And that is by far not the only time that kind of thing happens as a part of this church family. We actually get to do a lot of that around here, and I think we should do a whole bunch more of it. I don't want to waste your gifts and your passion and all the things that God wants to do through this church family. So we want to develop more communities of leaders for the growing ministry that God is doing around here. That's the first thing. The second thing has to do with what I drew up here because everything I just talked about, that's still the three, right? That's still the three hours we spend together. That's still like the 1.8% of our lives that we spend at church. And I don't want to just deal with 1.8%. I want to deal with most of our lives where we can be followers of Jesus. So we deal with this problem right here. We had this chasm between Sunday and the rest of our lives, between 3 and 165. What if we thought about this differently? What if Sunday were still a really important day where we gather together and learn from the scriptures? I'm going to put this circle right here for Sunday, right in the middle. And we gather together and pray together. We're encouraged and we worship and all that. And all the other days of the week, they were, instead of being separate, they were like gathered all around here. By the way, did you all know that I'm a fantastic artist? I mean, I'm like Picasso up here and I can't even count. There's seven right there, okay? And instead of a chasm, what if there were lines of connection between Sunday and all these other days and maybe they were connected to one another as one big integrated unified whole and these lines that go from the other days of the week to the middle day, to Sunday, maybe some of those lines would be lines of equipping. They would be lines that we gather together on Sunday for our three, and our three prepares us for our 165. So maybe in some of our Sunday morning sermons and in, in community groups, maybe we gather together there, in prayer times and discussion groups, together we share with one another and we help one another think, what is it that God wants to do in me, in my office, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my home, in my friend groups? And we equip one another to be disciples of Jesus in our 165. But not all the lines go out. Some of the lines come back in. Maybe some of these lines are lines of celebration. So we come together for worship and we're like, man, I saw God do good things in my life this week. I saw God create justice in my workplace and friendships in my neighborhood and health in my body. And we come together and we worship and praise God. And maybe some of these lines are coming in from our 165 to our three because we want to bring our real 165 selves into our three, right? Maybe some of these lines are lines of like contrition, confession, humility, and forgiveness. We come together in this place and for worship, maybe on a Sunday morning. And in our hearts, we know, we're like, I screwed up this week. I, I chose greed. I broke trust. I went my way instead of Jesus' way. And we come together and we hear the word of God. And we are reminded of how Jesus showed us the heart of the Father, how he went running down the road to gather sinners just like us and we're strengthened by his word and empowered to go back out and serve him again this week. What if we could integrate our three 165 and unleash the power of the movement that Jesus started right here in Caesarea White Bear Lake, right? Everywhere that we go. And then finally, one more thing. We want to build communities of leaders. We want to integrate our three 165. And this one is a little different. It's maybe a little more abstract. I think it's a little bit more all pervasive. I think what we need to do is get a clearer understanding of what it means for every single one of us, for every individual, every family, every group of us who's a part of First Lutheran. What does it mean to be a, a member of a church like this? 
You know, the word church can get screwed up, right? We talked about that. The word member can get messed up also. The word member was a great word. It's actually a biblical word. As far as it goes, being a member of a church, it came from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The apostle Paul was writing to the church, the movement of Jesus' people in the ancient city called Corinth. And he wanted them to understand how important they all were in their community. And so he said, you guys are all like members of one body. You're like, some of you are hands and some are feet and some are arms and some are legs and some are eyes and some are ears. You are all contributing impactful parts of a larger, moving, effective body. And a lot of people understand church membership that way. A lot of you understand what it means to be a member of a church body of the body of Christ that way. And those of you who understand that that way, man, you're setting the example for the rest of us. I think that's great. There are others of us who have probably learned a different understanding of the word membership, and it's not very helpful to us. Let me give you a couple examples of how we sometimes get mixed up on this. I'm a member of a health club here in town. Actually, more to the point, I'm a member of two health clubs here in town. And one of them I never go to. It's been 18 months at least since I've darkened the door of that place. They keep the membership dues just high enough they get some money and just low enough that I've always got something more important to do than go in and spend an hour convincing them I don't want to pay it anymore, right? So I am paying a small amount of of dues for the privilege of doing absolutely nothing at this health club, right? But they consider me a member. (laughs) I think if I came up with a name for what I am there, I think I would say that I am a disconnected, low-level donor. That's what I am there. I'm a disconnected, low-level donor. But they call that member, and they're really happy about it, right? There's another, let me give another example. I carry around a a credit card in my wallet, and I happened to look at it recently, and it says there on the bottom right-hand corner of that card, it says I've been a member since 1997. I guess I'm supposed to be proud of that or something. Member since 97. Except I had no idea I'd been a member of that card since 1997. I am not a contributing, impactful member of a larger, effective, moving body. I think if I were going to come up with a name for what I am to that credit card issuer, to that bank, I think that I am an unenthusiastic and very occasional user of that credit card. But I guess the word for that in some circles is member. I'm going to go on a limb here for a second. I don't think what Jesus wanted was disconnected, low-level donors and unenthusiastic and very occasional users of the movement that he started. I think what Jesus wanted was teammates on his team, children in the family of God, movers in the movement, partners in the mission that Jesus gave us and in the vision that he has for the world. And I think we need to, wherever we have this kind of diminished, evacuated understanding of membership, we need to move instead, leave that behind and move to a spirit of partnership and ownership in the mission and vision that Jesus has given us. And you know what? In the coming months and years, it might even be smart for us to think, do we want to think of some new words we want to use for that? I know a lot of churches have done that. Do we want to think about different processes or definitions for how it is that we are a part of this church family that we are? Down the road, we move in that direction. At the beginning of this series, four weeks ago, I told you that we would have an opportunity to take that step, that step of partnership and ownership in the mission and vision that God has given us for our future. And maybe some of you at this point, hopefully many of you saw those nets that are out there in our church lobby, in our church commons. I hope none of you got kind of clotheslined by them when you walked in. There are some nets out there And they are anchored, they are centered in the cross of Christ, right there under our skylight. They're centered in the cross of Christ and they spread out to the four corners of our lobby as if if to be to the four corners of the world where we go fishing for men and women. 
At the end of this, ser- at the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be part of that net because that net has a problem. I don't know if you notice this on your way in or not, but those nets are not finished. The holes are way too big. There are some really big gaps in that net, and most of the fish I've ever caught would swim right through it. <laughs> so we all get to be a part of the net. We all get to finish. We get to complete what Jesus has begun in us. So at the end of this service, what I want to invite you to do is to go out there and in your own time, you don't have to go, you don't have to all rush right away. You can go right away if you want. There are some baskets at the foot of the cross. It all starts at the foot of the cross, right? There are some baskets of string, twine that are there. And you can take one little length of that string and go somewhere on the net and find one of those gaps. And you can attach your piece of the net. You can sign on and tie onto the net. And you can do it across one of the ones that hasn't had any strings tied on it yet. If someone else has already got to that one, you can tie it across that one. You can tie your string to their string. It doesn't matter. And you can tie any knot you want. You don't have to be a Boy Scout, right? Just tie your string onto the net. And if you have kids in Sunday school, you want to pick them up first and do this as a family, do that. Now, at the end of every message in this series, I've left you with a prayer and invited our whole church family to pray together during the week at all different times. The first week we prayed, Jesus, help me know and show the heart of God. And then we prayed, Lord, expand our invitation to Christ. And last week we prayed, Jesus, make our family strong. I want to leave you with a different kind of prayer this week and invite you to say a prayer when you or together with somebody else or together with your family, you're tying your string onto that net. You're becoming part of the net. I want to invite you to pray this one word prayer. Pray yes. Yes, Jesus. We've heard your call. Come, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Yes, I want to know the heart of God, the way that you have come to show me the heart of God. I want to know and show the heart of God. I want to be a part of this people you've called us to be, living in these values that you've given us, pursuing the mission that you've called us to, to be and make disciples of Jesus. And we want to grow together to be this people you've made us to be. I want to be a part of expanding our invitation to Christ, investing in the relationships that make this church family strong. And we want to empower one another for life and service in the kingdom of God, unleashing the movement that Jesus himself began. Yes, Jesus, I answer your call. So after the service, when you're ready to do that, when you're ready to say that, go ahead and grab one of those pieces of twine and join. Join the Vision 2020. Yeah, join the net. Let me pray for us together. Yes, Lord, you come to us wherever we are, whether it's on the lake shore or somewhere else and you have called us, come to me. Jesus, we want to come to you because you have invited us, because you have welcomed us. You have come to show us the goodness of God. Yes, you've promised to invest in us, to spend time with us, to build us up and make us family. Yes, Lord, do that in us. Lord, you've sent us out to fish for people together, to be the people you've made us to be. Yes, Lord, do your work in us. Yes, Lord Jesus. Amen.